Budweiser sends in the Clydesdales to calm the noise over Bud Light. Well, at least it's the whole horse. You're listening to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here to have a beer over the truth is Dan Newman. Can you believe Bud Light is still fighting this horror show that has cost them millions of dollars, that transgender thing? Good morning, everybody. That's just one conflict going on in America today. There are plenty of other ones, and we're going to talk about those in a few minutes. We have a lot of things to talk about today, Uh, some of which are really good. You know, at the end of it all, all that matters are the positive things in our lives. Negative things are going to be negative things. They're always going to be there. And we make some choices whether to let those dominate our thinking, dominate our actions, or maybe we just can find a way to look at those things as just something we're going through and leave it right there. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm 69 years old. I've tried to get to that. I was a worry ward when I was younger. When circumstances popped up that I had trouble with, I would get angry. I would get hurt. I would get desperate sometimes. That's human nature. And I know you go through those kind of things sometimes too. Regarding things in our nation over which we have no control, our temptation is to get fearful. Things are really not good in the United States in the way of government. We've got millions of illegals pouring across our southern border. And yes, it is millions. It's been confirmed that it's millions that are coming in. Law enforcement? Pretty much non-existent, especially in the big cities, the biggest of cities around the nation. And it just seems like everybody in law enforcement at the state and local level are taking their cues from the federal lack of law enforcement. That's not a good thing. There are many instances in just living in the United States of America today that aren't good things. Are we going to let those good things dominate us? Are those the things that we're going to make a conscious decision or even unconscious to let dominate our time, our thought life? Look, you can't fix something that you can't fix. That may sound like something from an elementary student. You can't fix something that you can't fix. If it's out of your control, Why the heck spend your emotions, your time, your precious intellect to worry about them? The only time we ought to give to them is if we're able to come up with existing resources we have or put the resources together to make those things go away, to get them resolved. Other than that, if you can't change it, you can't change it. Don't let it dominate you your life, whatever it is. And there are folks that are in really bad straits today, and we won't waste time talking about what those bad straits are. You know what they are. Look around you. If you're ever tempted to think you're better than somebody else, just look up. There's somebody above you that's better than you. If you ever think you've got it worse than anybody else that you can think of, Go find somebody 
there are people out there that are not doing as good as you are. Where you are today is just one stop on where you're going with your life. And if you let where you are today dominate your thinking, your decisions, the processes that you go through every day, if you let today's circumstances control you, it never works out good. I promise you. All the worry and the fret and the bad choices that we make when we're going through those things, they're going to come back and bring results oftentimes we don't like. Let's just get through those things, and let's just do that today together. Listen, we got some really good things to talk about today, but we've got some facts that are not so friendly. I'll explain all of that on the other side of this. What's this? Well, it's David Gates and Bread. Got his big break when he was filling up cars at a gas station in Oklahoma City, David Gates. And this is just one of those good things that came out of that. Got to find another place to play 
David Gates and Bread. Well, they had some great songs back in the 70s, early 70s, didn't they? If you're late tuning in this morning, you didn't miss much, just some encouragement from Dan, and that's what we need to do more of, encourage each other. you got folks in your life, in your circle of influence that need a pat on the back. You can find somebody that needs that, certainly wants that, every day if you look hard enough. So I encourage you to do just that. Look hard. (laughs) Find them. Find them. Have you noticed what's about to happen at our southern border? Title 42, that CDC edict that they put out there that gave the government, gave the Border Patrol and ICE, the permission, legal permission, to turn illegal immigrants that come to the border to turn them back. That was during the pandemic, and it was to keep people that we have no idea what their medical conditions are, keep them from flooding our nation and doing what obviously might would have happened. Well, that's still going on. Title 42 is still in force for a couple of days. And there are hundreds of thousands of people, not just from Mexico, but from all over, Central America, South America, the islands, Bahama Islands, the Caribbean, It's crazy how many people are doing everything they can to get in our nation. I understand that they want to, but I don't understand why our government isn't making them do it legally. Once again, law enforcement, there is none at that level. Do you realize that Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, with approval from the White House, is just opening the gates at the southern border and waving illegals in. And we're experiencing across the nation the results of no accountability, no law enforcement for these people. Five people killed north of Houston in Cleveland, Texas, by an illegal that had been deported four times. Yet he comes back in. He has not only the gun he used to kill those five people this past weekend. They found out he had other guns, illegally had other guns. That just kind of brings up the conversation about the Second Amendment. You can't make people not do wrong things. Human nature means that all of us are going to occasionally, many of us more often than others, but you're going to make a choice to do the wrong thing, the bad thing. And so what's the age-old process to take care of that? If you want whoever it is to stop doing it, not do it again, what you do, you hold them accountable for what they did wrong, criminality, no matter how evil it is, could be first-degree murder. It could be something like breaking and entering or stealing a candy bar out of a convenience store. Hold them accountable for doing the wrong thing. It is so stinking simple. Adults, we teach our kids that. They grow up knowing that if they touch a hot stove, they're going to get burned. So what do we do? We tell them, don't touch the hot stove. And the next time they look at you and cheese at you and reach up there and touch that hot stove, what happens? They get burned. There's a price to pay for making bad choices. 
And for anybody, I don't care who we are, adult, teenager, politician, laborer, if we don't hold ourselves and those who we're responsible for accountable for any wrongdoing, it sends a message that says, forget about the law. Forget about the rules. You just go ahead and do anything and everything you want to. And we'll just deal with the fallout when, oh, I don't know, you murder some people or you get drunk and drive and you destroy somebody's property. Whatever it is, it is insane for any leader at any level to create a circumstance in which that's okay. No accountability. So why is Joe Biden allowing this to happen? And make no mistake, he's the one. Why is he doing that? Speculation on my part. And I'm not going to go down that road, but I can tell you this, it doesn't matter why. All that matters is he's doing it. Federal immigration laws that Congress passed, both houses, House, Senate, sent to a sitting president at whatever time it was passed, signed into law. Many of those federal immigration laws were implemented, passed through the House, through the Senate, and signed by a president while Joe Biden was in the Senate, and he voted for those laws. And yet today, ah, forget about them. Just forget about them. Why? Somewhere, somebody has convinced our president that not only is it okay to let these illegals come in, we must let them come in. And so what we're going to tell the American people in the way of an excuse for our breaking federal immigration laws, which if you suborn somebody breaking a federal law, you're guilty of the same crime. But nobody's holding anybody accountable for that, are they? Our kids, the whole time they're growing up and even after they become adults, they have learned if you can get away with something once, you can get away with it twice. If there's something you want, something you want to do, and it's against the rules, maybe at your office where you work, or against the law, and you choose to go ahead and do it, And then guess what? Nobody says anything or nobody does anything. Or somebody does a fake, you better not do that again. No accountability, though, just a warning. And those warnings ring hollow. So let me paint a scenario of the United States. And let's call it what it really is. Anarchy. What's the definition of anarchy? It's when in a government, in a people... In a nation, when anybody does anything they want to and they're not held accountable, they could not like somebody sitting in an office at some level. And so they just go beat them up. Worse yet, go kill them. Get them out of the way. You go into a grocery store. You don't have any money, but you need some groceries. And so you get your cart, drive down an aisle. You start throwing groceries in there. And when you get through, you just go right past the cashier, through the door, out to your car, and you stole it all. Nobody holds you accountable? Guess what? Hey, I need a car. I don't want a new car. can't afford that. 
I can't even afford to operate a new car. Can't afford the insurance. But you know what? A good three or four year old used car, I can go for that. So you go find one on a used car lot. You drive it. Talk to the salesperson. Maybe even meet the manager. You talk about price. You talk about what's the background for this car, who owned it. Do you have those certificates that show that it was never in a bad wreck and those kind of things. And you get a comfort level, but you don't have the money. You wait till the sun goes down, used car lot closes, and you just go steal the car. you got a friend that's got a paint and body shop. You take it over in the middle of the night, leave it with him, and two days later, hey, you got a brand new used car. Maybe it was blue when you looked at it at the used car lot, but now it's green. And you think, nobody's going to know the difference, but you're not held accountable. It makes it okay. You see where I'm going with this? We're teaching each other, and we're teaching three generations of children that you're not going to be held accountable, in most cases, for breaking the rules. If you don't have a nation of laws, you don't have a nation. All you have is what's called in the Caribbean and has been forever a banana republic where there are leaders, but leaders don't do their jobs. Leaders don't take care of their people in the island nation or wherever it is. That principally is based on the laws that whoever governs that nation, that island, have passed, and they become laws. But people out there will just pick and choose which ones they're going to abide by. We're close to living in a country once was a representative republic, but now is a banana republic. And we have leaders in D.C. that are not only pushing for us to go to that direction, We're finding out now we've been, or at least they've been, in that mindset for several years at least. The FBI, they lie through their teeth. They testify before Congress from the top down, the Department of Justice, Attorney General. Lie after lie after lie. What's going to happen? Who does Joe Biden fear? Do you think he doesn't know that he's lying all the time, these things that he says? He may act like he doesn't know, but there's no way you can live through 50 years in a political system, actually in the part of that political system that crafts those laws and not know what is going on is wrong. You just don't do that. So why then does he continue to let those things happen? That's the part that needs to concern every American. To be honest with you, I don't care what the motives are. I don't give a rip. I give a rip about what they're doing when they're rolled out or not rolled out, when law enforcement doesn't go do their jobs at the behest of the commander-in-chief. I That part can't accept. So what do we do? In a normal situation in the United States of America, you have somebody in the White House that does that. 
you get them out of the White House. There's only two ways, impeach them, well, three. Impeach them, they resign or die, or they get elected out. Tens of millions of Americans don't have a lot of confidence in our federal election system now. So what else could be there? The other options are not under our control at all. Impeachment. Impeachment articles got to be developed only in the House of Representatives. The Republicans have a very slim majority there. It is doubtful they could get articles of impeachment passed. But even if they could, it goes over to the Senate. There's no way the Senate is going to convict Joe Biden of whatever charges that came up in a Kevin McCarthy-led House of Representatives. So the only other one is for whoever is in office to resign or die. And there's a process for what happens if any of that happens. You have a vice president in line, then you have a house speaker in line, and the list goes on and on. It's called secession. There's not a good scenario, a really good scenario for that. So what can the people of the nation do about it? You can open your mouths. You can get on the phone. You can talk to your friends. You can engage in discourse with anybody and everybody and challenge all those who you engage with to do the same thing in their circle of influence. The only way this nation changes is if this nation changes its thinking. How can we do that? Well, let me tell you what a good start is. Exposure. Expose all of those on a mass scale that are breaking laws, doing the wrong things, and make them be accountable. We have some time left Our structure of accountability, it's falling apart. There's still a measure of it in place. But it won't work unless, first of all, those who are in power to hold people accountable start that process. And it won't happen unless the people get behind the process to hold those in authority accountable, and make them pay the price for their wrongdoing. Another case of that came out late yesterday, and it has to do with Joe Biden. Fox News alert this just in. A highly credible whistleblower is alleging that the Department of Justice has evidence that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, was directly involved in a criminal scheme with a foreign national. We're being told that justice has had in their possession a document showing Biden directly exchanged money for policy decisions when he was vice president. Again, a foreign national bribed Vice President Biden in exchange for policy decisions. This isn't just cracked out, Hunter. This is a direct link to the president of the United States. Senator Chuck Grassley, who broke the news, says these allegations are very credible. Listen. We have credible information that this uh, possible uh, criminal activity took place. I do have 
uh, faith in the whistleblowers that bring it to me that this document exists. Uh, we have a rough idea of what's in the document from the uh, credible uh, whistleblower. We get this information. The document exists, and we'll have to get the document. To this is Grassley's wheelhouse. He doesn't mess around when it comes to whistleblowers. Grassley's the real deal on this stuff. And that's bad news for Biden. This could be hard evidence that Joe was doing political favors for cash. And the FBI and the Justice Department knew it, and they sat on it, just like they did with the laptop for over a full year in the run-up to the last election. And since this is another election cycle for Biden, I guess it was all part of the plan, another cover-up. But now, Oversight Chair James Comer is issuing a subpoena to the FBI and Chris Wray, ordering them to release this document immediately. And Grassley is telling the White House they better not cover it up by classifying it. Do you believe that the subpoena will also ultimately be successful and Chairman Comer will be able to obtain this document? What level of confidence do you have? It'll be successful unless the White House classifies this document. And uh, they better not because I know it's a non-classified document. But they could keep me from getting it by classifying it. But we know the White House is already jumping into defense. Biden's Stephen Miller put out this statement. You ready? Quote, for going on five years now, Republicans in Congress have been lobbying unfounded, unproven, politically motivated attacks against the president and his family without offering evidence for their claims or evidence of decisions influenced by anything other than U.S. interests. That's because they prefer floating anonymous innuendo amplified by the megaphone, other allies in the right wing media, ahem, to get the attention and try to distract and deflect from their own unpopular ideas and lack of solutions to the issues the American people actually care about. Whatever. This is yet another whistleblower who fingers Biden as the head of a corrupt political family, taking money under the table from foreign nationals. He's now the sitting president of the United States, but there are hundreds of data points that Joe Biden was acting in in a capitalistic term, I would say the chairman. He's a figurehead. He shows up at meetings, shakes hands, advises, you know, has faith in his team. Effectively, that was Joe Biden's role in the Biden family business ventures and uh, around the world. They're former White House staffers who were on Air Force Two with Biden when he flew to Ukraine to push for gas deals while Hunter was being paid by gas giants. And he has the evidence to prove it. Remember? Joe Biden is lying. Joe Biden is a criminal. That's the bottom line. I don't care if he goes to Timbuktu or Ireland or anywhere. He's a criminal. And I've got the evidence. If they put me in front of the grand jury that's right now seated in Wilmington with special prosecutor David Weiss, my testimony becomes the evidence that will put him in jail or will uh, lead to his impeachment. Well, a picture tells a thousand words. Here's Joe Biden at dinner with foreign nationals paying his son. What were they paying his son for? They can't tell you. But we have emails describing kickbacks for Joe Biden, 10 percent for the big guy. And of Hunter setting up White House meetings for Chinese nationals, guy named Wang. Does that sound like innuendo? We have IRS whistleblowers who say Biden's Department of Justice, they've been slow walking charges against Hunter to protect the fam. Can't say we're surprised when we hear the Department of Justice has been sitting on evidence that Joe was exchanging political favors for cash. 
This was happening right under Barack Hussein Obama's nose. Barack Hussein Obama likes to say his administration had no scandals, but his own VP was running a foreign cash register out of his White House? Come on. But it could get worse. Hunter's finances, they're about to get cracked open in an Arkansas court. All because the deadbeat dad's trying to lowball child support payments to his loved child. Now, meanwhile, Hunter's been shacking up at the White House trying not to get served. And his sugar brother, you know, the guy who loaned Hunter two mil to pay off his back taxes. But we just found out he's been hiding Hunter's assets so a four-year-old girl can stay poor. The sugar brother even took over Hunter's stake in that Chinese company that the White House said that Hunter divested from. And you ready? The Washington Post just now reporting that federal prosecutors just met with Hunter's defense team. And they're very close on deciding whether or not to indict the president's son on tax and gun charges. Now, maybe this is why Joe hasn't been seen in the last 48 hours. Nor will we see Joe Biden publicly because every time bad things come out, rather than come out and face the voters and talk to reporters about these bad things, he just sends his minions out if anybody goes out. And how often do we hear things that are not true? I'll answer my own question quite often. So here we are. Forget about just for a moment the lawlessness of this president and the fact that there is credible evidence out there that will implicate him in one of the things that most Americans feel certain of, which is Joe Biden has mishandled money for himself personally and for members of his family, and we call it here the Biden family syndicate. And evidence is proving it layer by layer, day after layer. But if we, the people, don't hold our leaders accountable for their wrongdoing, we don't have a nation. We're a nation of laws. We're a nation of we the people. At least we are right now. At least we think we are right now. Every day more comes out that says maybe we're really not that. Maybe we're just another also-ran country with no backbone, no honesty, no credibility, and it's all been fake for years and years and years. I hope we don't find that out. But even if it is, and we find out it is, and we the people rise up, and make the changes necessary to go back to what this nation was founded to be. That's a novel idea. Let's just go back to the Declaration of Independence days. We can talk about that equality. We can talk about that freedom, liberty, and justice for everybody. And we can talk about holding everybody accountable for everything they do and everything they don't do that they're supposed to be doing. And our nation, not not politicians' nation, our nation. So at the top of the show, we mentioned Title 42 ending. It is. And we all know, we see it already happening. There's a groundswell on the southern side of our southern border where immigrants are lining up in the thousands, tens of thousands, 
to flood into the nation when Title 42 expires. Everybody's been talking, not everybody, but people that are honest, law-abiding Americans have been talking about and talking to our law enforcement people and our politicians do something to hold these lawbreakers back. Just follow immigration laws and we'll be okay. Well, in the middle of all of this, Mexico, we hear, has agreed to receive migrants that are deported from the U.S. as the authorities are getting ready for that end of Title 42. Title 42 was put in place, by the way, in case you don't remember, Donald Trump. Mexico committed to continuing to accept migrants from not everywhere, but from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela that are deported by the U.S. on humanitarian grounds. Now, let me just qualify what I'm telling you. This is coming from the White House. And when I said that, you went, we can't believe that. That's horrible, but this is where it's coming from. Title 42 is going to end next week, May 11th. And the Biden administration, they're planning on a surge in migrants coming across the border after that. They announced yesterday a plan to handle the fast-approaching expiration of Title 42. In January, they also announced a set of new legal pathways for migrants to get here. And that included allowing migrants to apply for Title 42 exemptions through Custom and Border Patrol One Phone app. They can do it online now and to seek humanitarian parole through a separate program for Venezuelans, Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans. This all just sounds warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? In its last meeting with Mexico, we're told the Biden administration also agreed to accept 100,000 migrants from Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. And do that for one thing and one thing only, family reunification. So let me get this straight. The top of the story they put out there is, oh, we've cut a deal with Mexico. They're going to take these evil ones that we deport. They're promising they're going to take them back. And then the last sentence of this press release they put out about this, they tell us very quietly, We've agreed to accept 100,000 migrants from Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. We've got to put these people in those countries. We've got to let them in here to let their families reunify. You and I, we all know that's nothing more than horse hockey. And you know what that is. Here's the thought. Why not just hold everybody that comes in here? Doesn't matter who it is. Split from your family. We hate that for you. Go back to where you came from. Go back to your family. Y'all go file for asylum in the United States and then come here legally as a family. Or maybe you can't do it as a family. Somebody's going to stay behind. The legal process will work. We have for years, including last year, we've let One million plus people immigrate to to our country coming in legally. 
That's more. That one million plus is more than all of the legal immigrants from around the world that go from and to any country every year. The United States of America has been the most welcoming immigration nation in world history. Why not just do it the right, the legal way? Let me just say this. There's a good shot that in the 2014, uh, 2024 election, if Joe Biden is reelected, there's a really good shot that he won't make it in office. Why? I'm pretty confident the House majority to Republicans is going to go up in number, and there's a good shot that Republicans win control of the Senate. Do you think a threat of that might make the president think a little stronger about doing his job? You know, that constitutional commitment he made? I can hope and pray for that. Listen, I prayed this morning. I was at a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. And we have been instructed, and we do, I pray for all those that are in authority over me in any way, that they will be pushed spiritually and mentally to make the right choices as it pertains to the commitments they make to serve in office. But we the people must hold them accountable. Must hold them accountable. Back to the Mexico-China thing. Here's some good news that came out. China is selling industrial pill press equipment. Now, what is that for? You know what it's for? It's to make pills. They're selling that equipment that's used to turn powdered fentanyl into pills. China is selling those machines to Mexican cartels. This is coming out of DHS, Homeland Security, out of testimony before Congress. Over 70,000 people died of drug overdoses, fentanyl overdoses in the U.S. in 2021. That's according to the CDC. Matt Milholland, assistant director with DHS's Homeland Security Investigations, told Senate members what steps DHS is taking to combat that illicit Fentanyl trade. Milholland, when he was testifying, now, you know, he's under oath, so you would think he's sworn to tell the truth, he would tell the truth. He said these cartels are using chemicals they get from China to produce fentanyl lace pills on an industrial scale to be used for one purpose and one purpose only smuggle into the United States. Milholland said this, and this is a quote, in order to manufacture these pills, Mexican cartels require industrial pill press equipment to turn powdered fentanyl into pill form. The Mexican cartels are purchasing these pill presses directly from Chinese manufacturers who are producing the equipment specifically for illicit activity. Moreover, he said, as Mexican cartels have taken over fentanyl production and they operate that on an industrial scale, they are procuring precursor chemicals from China and synthesizing these chemicals in Mexico to produce fentanyl. Now, what does all that sound like? It sounds like an industry, not just a little barn or 
a wood shack out in the back somewhere, out in the middle of nowhere, where they're very quietly doing these manufacturing of a few pills. Uh Uh-uh, it's nothing like that. This is a closet industry that's going on in Mexico. And China is involved in it all. Back in April, during a visit with Mexican government officials, China denied their involvement in any way in the trafficking of fentanyl to Mexico. And they blamed the problem on us. (laughs) They blamed us and the United States. The pill presses that are used to press that finished fentanyl into pills are coming from China. We have learned exclusively it's all coming from China. Milholland said this under oath. We just seized over 200 pill presses at a warehouse in Los Angeles. And this came indirectly from China. This problem begins and ends in China, he said. China. China. Nobody in our administration has any problems with this. I mean, obviously, it's okay. They're not doing anything. Have you seen any bill pending, anyone going through regular order being discussed of clamping down on China in any way at all? Oh, no, we're selling them dirt all around the nation so that they can build operations close to our military installations. They're buying companies in the United States. We have no idea how entrenched across our nation is the nation of China, but we know they're here. We know they are getting more and more powerful and they're using money to buy control of the United States. And the Biden administration is not only allowing it, they're clapping their hands and facilitating it actually. But, of course, we heard this president's going to stop all this mess at the southern border. He's sending 12,000 troops to the southern border. Oh, we got to take care down there. We got to make sure nothing bad happens down there. Um, it's not 12,000, <laughs> but it's some military. Anyway, he's going to do it. Who can forget about what the now vice president had to say when then-President Donald Trump announced that he was sending military to the southern border. She called it, Trump doing this, little more than a public relations stunt. And that uh, clip on YouTube, you can do it. Let me tell you how to do it. You can search it. Go get it. Kamala sending troops to the border on YouTube. Here's what she said. I also believe the administration made a decision to deploy them based on a political agenda. She's talking about Trump back when he was president. And she said, I believe that it's inappropriate to require the limited resources of the United States military to be used in such a way when it was, you know, these folks who are being deployed there, they're going to leave. They've left their families. They won't be at home. 
it looks like for Thanksgiving, she said. Wah, wah, wah. They've joined the military. The military goes where there needs to be military when there's need for them to be there. That's why they join the military, Ms. Vice President. And she said, it's all because there needed to be some demonstration for the TV cameras based on a political agenda instead of what is a national security threat. National security threat? Our vice president doesn't think, hasn't thought, even when she was a U.S. senator, that a flood of illegals coming into our nation at our southern border is not a national security threat. Oh, my gosh. Forget about the national security stuff. Think about the lives that have been lost directly because of what you guys haven't done at our southern border, enforced immigration laws. Of course, there's a lot of hypocrisy there, her saying all that. That's kind of a problem as the president ordered 1,500 active-duty military personnel to address the escalating crisis at the border. Now, you and I both know how wide that border is across Texas alone. Then you throw in New Mexico, Arizona, and California, 1,500 active duty? Oh, my gosh. They might as well not go. They might as well just go down there and go fetch water and Diet Cokes for the Border Patrol agents as they're going to be doing the job. And we're told that those 1,500 cannot and will not act in any law enforcement way. They're just there to support the Customs and Border Patrol folks that are down there. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It just gets deeper and deeper, and we have no idea what's next. And sadly, we don't have a lot of confidence that whatever happens next, that our government is going to respond the right way. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Duncan. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Playoff time, baby. Games, snacks, drinks. I mean, what else can you ask for, bro? Really? Hey, pass me a Pepsi. I mean, can you drink any louder? That's how I drink. Loud like that? I drink loud. I like to enjoy it. Toss me some ways. Did you eat any louder? It's normal to eat loud. Drinking loud makes no sense. Peyton, Eli, road trip to the Super Bowl. Hard pass. Playoffs are on. You're paying for that door, by the way. I got a bus. The bus has got a bus. Let's go. Can we go see the bus? What up, Eli? Thank you, Cruz. I miss you, buddy. I miss you too, man. Super Bowl, baby. Let's go. We're not going. I'm going to get more chips and drinks. Do not leave this room. 
I got you. I got you. Are you kidding me? Technically, I didn't leave the room. I'll call her mom. After I finish these chips. How much longer? You drive weird. Plus, are we there yet? No. Hey, bus, we gotta pull over for some more chips and drinks. Oh, you got it. Hey, guys, look who I found. Bradshaw? <laughs> hey, guys, got room for one more? Got Doritos. Got Mountain Dew. Do we really want to bring him? It might start to feel crowded. I mean, maybe if we had a little... Oh, please don't. You know, you don't say it. Salsa. <laughs> I love me some salsa. All right, I got an idea. We got one seat left, and it's special just for you. Let's do it. <laughs> this is like a convertible. It's up a whole lot better. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it. Right here, TNN, the Truth News Network. Have you ever really thought through the process of anytime anything bad goes on in the nation and how our government responds, what the facts really are? I mean, think about it. When a huge portion, if not most of the media and the nation are in the tank, they're all leftists. They can't stand conservatives. And of course, even our president now, when he speaks to any Republican or about any Republican and not just Republicans, but anybody that disagrees with him on any issue. He calls us a MAGA extremist. You got to label everybody. That used to be called racism, xenophobe, and all of those things rolled into one. But if a Democrat does it, well, that's just okay because they're wiser and smarter and more truthful than anybody else. Divide and conquer. You know, we don't talk about January 6th much anymore. You know why that is? You get canceled if you do. You're a denier, we're told. Same kind of thing happened, remember, through COVID? I was one of those people at the very front of it that said, I don't care what we're being told and crammed down our throats. We need to be cautious. We need to wait until all of the big drug companies have gone through massive human trials with these vaccines to prove to us before they start jabbing us that these things are going to work and that they're safe. Oh, no, we can't do that. We can't wait. People are dying. People are dying. And every day now, we hear some more news about, well, it wasn't good, and we knew it wasn't good, But we went ahead and did it. In fact, we made it mandatory. And hundreds of thousands of people are dying or have experienced permanent life-changing situations that came from not COVID-19, but came from the jabs. You remember all of that? Layer after layer is being peeled off of the events of January 6th. And when you speak about them, you've got to be doing so quietly. So in spite of the narrative that pervaded the media on the evening of January 6, 2021, attorney Michael Hamilton experienced something a little different before he left the rally at the Capitol building. And he called it back then even a day of peace and prayer. He 
went to seminary many years ago. He held a worship service on the front lawn of the Capitol building. People were singing hymns and with their hands held in the air praising God. This is Hamilton talking a couple of days ago. Everywhere he went, he said, there were departed patriots. Then, all of a sudden, three 15-passenger white vans arrived, and those vans were flanked by squad cars that Hamilton said he later confirmed to belong to Antifa. What Hamilton began to look at and observe was a different, aggressive energy flooding into the crowd. All morning, he said, people were just walking, but this later infusion was racing and frenzied and trying to work others into a frenzy too. These new protesters, he said, were dressed like Trump supporters, but they were not Trump supporters. They could disguise their appearance, but not their spirits. They were angry, and it was time to leave. So that was just the beginning. What happened later, we're hearing all kinds of things. Isn't it interesting? Every once in a while, some specific news leaks out about what happened to this person or that person. We told you one here, a specific person that was there that day, and all she did was go into the Capitol. And because of that, The FBI arrested her. They did the morning raid on her. She didn't break anything. She didn't hurt anybody. She went into the Capitol, she said, because Capitol Police pulled back barriers and waved people in. We played in a story that we published here a video that clearly showed Capitol Police pulling barriers back and waving these people there into the Capitol. She was one of those people. She had to plea. She pled down to the charges. And it's on her background. Anytime she goes anywhere publicly and somebody scans her driver's license, her ID card, it comes up and she's blocked. That's just one example. For a guy named Brad Geyer, who is a lawyer, represents several of the J6 defendants who've been accused of conspiring against the government. According to Brad, the real story is pretty alarming. It's basically like this, he said. All hands on deck. Everybody grab a fire bucket and just start dousing the flames. The Bill of Rights, he said, is on fire. Have you ever, in the context of what happened post-January 6th, have you ever looked at or thought about the specific amendments in the Constitution that protected our rights that have lost their meaning according to the federal government agencies like the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA. They were trampled left and right in the aftermath of January 6th. And it's a story nobody's telling. The FBI is executing unconstitutional search warrants on people with misdemeanors and they're keeping them in jail without the right to a speedy trial and their justification is they're basing it on a contrived use of laws applied to circumstances that are either taken out of context or they just didn't happen. Geyer said this, the search warrants are out of control. There will be 20 to 30 agents conducting a search. Suspects, husbands, and wives 
have reported opening their front door and being covered in red dots from the sights on AR-15 rifles. And these federal prosecutors, they just exaggerate what really happened in almost every case. They take hyperbolic statements made in text or on social media posts like, we have to fight, and they twist them into somebody exhorting someone else to get engaged in terrorism. Endless examples of it. And they did it, and they're doing it across the board. But nobody on the left even thinks about those people. Do you realize there are several hundred Americans that have been charged only with misdemeanors that are still being held in Washington, D.C. jail? But nobody is allowed to talk about J6. So why are you talking about it, Dan? I don't want any of us to forget that these kind of things are never supposed to happen in a free nation, but they are happening even as we speak in this nation. We're all supposed to be innocent unless and until our government proves us guilty. We have a right to a speedy trial. Misdemeanors, the worst of the lot, would serve six months in jail. Most of it probably has already been served. And if they ever adjudicated a case and got it finished, they would, whatever the results would be, even if they plead down, they would have to plead guilty. It's on their record for the rest of their lives with the FBI. Everybody knows that. And they just are released for time served. That seems like, oh, we let them off. No, they didn't do anything to justify being held captive and their constitutional rights just trampled on. I'm sorry, but this still gets in my throat. It makes me nauseated to think that our government is doing that to our fellow Americans. There are some who really lost it, were really bad, did a lot of bad things on January 6th, but not the hundreds of people that the FBI has gone after. This is going to be kind of like the 9-11 stuff. It's going to be kind of like JFK's assassination. This is going to go on and on and on for years. And every once in a while, there's going to be somebody that for whatever reason or reasons decides, I'm talking about the somebody's in government, that know things. They're going to come out and tell us one more story, a true story about what really happened on January 6th. And in the aftermath, who and what was put in place and why. That's the most important part. One reason why so many on the left don't want Donald Trump to be back in the White House because he's going to expose everything, good, bad, ugly. I've got some thoughts about former President Trump here in a little bit. Did you hear about the assassination attempt on Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin drone strike overnight? I saw the video and stuff of it. Let me tell you what it is. All it is, I think, is Vladimir Putin trying to find a way to cement in the hearts of the Russian people that Ukraine is really evil and Ukraine is out to get Russia 
and make Vladimir Putin look like a great leader. I think they set it up. I don't have any facts to prove it. But if you look at the video and you look of where it happened and how it happened, it just seems contrived to me. Two unmanned aerial vehicles were aimed at the Kremlin. At least this is coming from the Russian government through TASS, T-A-S-S, which is their official communication channel. They released a statement alleging they had fended off an attack against the heart of the Russian state by Ukrainian drones. Now, Ukraine, Ukraine hadn't said anything about it yet. They've not claimed the attack. Russia's not offered any evidence to prove what they're saying is true. Of course, in the case of Vladimir Putin, the old Soviet Union guy, KGB, truth doesn't matter. It's whatever you want the narrative to say. That's why you put it together and make it say what you want to. It's claimed Vladimir Zelensky's chief of staff posted fire emojis to his personal telegram channel after the news broke, but he went in very quickly and deleted them. Russia was clear, very clear, in their accusation that Ukraine was the culprit for the overnight attack. Ukraine was, at the beginning of this, silent. While no official statement through state channels has been issued as of yet that I've seen, government spokesmen have said through Western media outlets to not only deny the involvement, but to suggest the attack may have been, might have been, and Dan says probably was the work of guerrillas inside Russia. Radio Free Europe cites a source, a Ukrainian government advisor, who said this, quote, the emergence of unidentified unmanned aerial vehicles at energy facilities or on Kremlin's territory can only indicate the guerrilla activities of local resistance forces. As you know, drones can be bought at any military store. Oh, don't you know, Russia's full of those store that sells drones, military-style drones in Russia? I don't think so. The loss of power control over the nation of Russia by Putin's clan, it's showing up every day. We Every once in a while, we get some leaks over there that things aren't rosy. The Russian people are protesting, demonstrating. They're watching their young men and their older men now be hauled off to go to war on the front. Russia has repeatedly talked about its total control over the air in Russia and over Ukraine. In a word, something is happening in the Russian Federation, but definitely without Ukraine's drones over the Kremlin. One Russian official speaking to CNN of all places to make some parallel remarks said yesterday, we do not have information on so-called night attacks on Kremlin. As President Zelensky has stated numerous times before, Ukraine uses all means at its disposal to free its own territory, not to attack others. But once again, don't expect any facts to come out about it because they're not going to come out. Why? Because they don't have to. Nobody will hold Vladimir Putin accountable. We tried. People of Russia tried again and again and again. But it just doesn't happen. 
Well, well, well. One of the big items on our agenda, our government's agenda, is this debt limit expiration. There is so much talk going on, and Americans in large don't understand what the issue is and why it's out there. We've got some news about it. In fact, the Senate now, remember the House already passed a bill. The GOP-controlled House, they passed a debt limit increase bill that requires some spending cuts. Of course, we can't do that. We can't hold Joe Biden accountable. After all, all he does, he doesn't go to Congress anymore. He just pulls out a blank sheet of paper and scribbles an executive order and goes and spends another 10, 20, 30 billion dollars on whatever. And I'm exaggerating a bit. But the Senate has stepped in. More about that after this. Out of every dollar of the debt for the next 10 years, 50 cents, 50 cents out of every dollar of the debt will be used for nothing more than to pay interest on the debt. Uh, This has got to be uh, dealt with. Uh, Senator Schumer has said that, you know, he wants to put, there's votes for a clean debt limit. Uh, I don't know where he's getting his information because there aren't the votes for a clean debt limit. Um, What we do know is that in seven of the last ten negotiations on the debt limit, there have been budgetary reforms. So 70% of the time the debt limit gets lifted. Uh, There has been a discussion, conversation around in a negotiation about budgetary and policy reforms. That's what needs to happen this time. And that's supported by the American people. Uh, Polls show that 65% of the American people believe that you shouldn't raise the debt limit without doing something about the debt. And so um, that's where the American people are, and clearly uh, that's where we are. And I just hope that uh, in the next few days, hopefully by the time when this meeting happens on May 9th, Uh, we can see serious and real progress, uh, or else the administration will be the first administration ever to have to deal with a default on the debt, because a clean debt limit is uh, is not going to happen. And I think they need to understand that, uh, get serious about um, sitting down at the table, and if the X date actually is June 1, that brings an additional sense of urgency uh, to this situation. we need to get there, and hopefully the administration will uh, finally pick up the ball and, uh, and start going to work and addressing this important issue. Joe Biden is playing Russian roulette, as well as the Democrats, with uh, our Americans' economy. It's dangerous. It's reckless. The president and the Democrats are fear-mongering, uh, threatening to default on the debt. They believe it's okay to continue to borrow and spend money we don't have, and the American people deserve better. This spending binge that the Democrats have been on the last two years has brought us record high inflation, 40-year high inflation, and a debt of over $31 trillion. As a result, two-thirds of Americans say if you're going to raise the debt ceiling, you need to tie it to some reforms in spending. That's what American families have to do if, for one reason or another, they max out their credit cards. And the Republicans in the House of Representatives have done just that in terms of coming forward with reforms that are responsible, that address the issue. And you take a look at what they've included in there, things like clawing back unused COVID money. Of course, that's very popular with the American people. Tying work for able-bodied American adults who don't have children, tying that to welfare, 
Gren, the American public agrees. So it's time for President Biden to take his hand, his head out of the sand and sit down and talk and negotiate with Speaker McCarthy. Maybe the president believes that there's no cutting to be done. There's no waste, fraud or abuse in government. Well, there's clearly areas where we can do reforms. They're needed to the point that the eight times that reforms have been done tied to a raising of the debt ceiling, well, Joe Biden was either in Congress or as the vice president of the United States. He's been for six of the eight. So it is time for Joe Biden to end this debt ceiling madness. And there you go. The Senate has now joined the quest to find some agreement at the White House to get a debt ceiling number and increase it. But not going to do it. Not going to be a blank check. And of course, the accusations keep coming from the White House. Oh, we've, you know, we've told everybody it, we're, it's not negotiable. We want a clean debt limit bill. They tell us that it happens all the time. Republicans, when there's a Democrat in the White House, they've always just stood up and said, here you go, Mr. President. We'll give you carte blanche to spend whatever you want of taxpayer dollars. It doesn't happen that way. Occasionally it does, and they mention what happened during the Trump administration. We were in the middle of a pandemic, one of the worst pandemics in American history. If you throw all the bad circumstances in, not just the death count. And so it was crazy for the opposite party, which was the Democrat Party during the Trump campaign, for them not to give the president, the administration, the money that was necessary, the expert were telling us, to take care of the American people during that time. That's not an example. We're not in a pandemic. We're not in a financial crisis. Well, we are. And it all falls at the feet of Joe Biden and Democrats for all the spending they've done in this administration. That's a story for another day. So the threat is, the scare is, the nightmare they're trying to sell to the American people is, if we default, it'll be the first time in American history where the United States could not or did not pay its debt, and that will totally destroy our financial situation, top to bottom. So let me ask you this. What will really happen if we do default on our debt? And just say this, we're not going to do it. We're not going to default, but what would happen if they dug in their heels and said, Mr. President, unless you give us these spending cuts, we're not going to give you a debt limit increase. And Biden said, screw it. We'll just default on our debt. What would happen to us? The fact that we're even having this discussion is completely ludicrous. Goldman Sachs estimates that about a tenth of economic activity just stops. A tenth of the economy just stops. For sure, you'd go, you'd, you'd go into a recession. That would happen pretty quickly. You'd risk Social Security, Medicare. You wouldn't be able to pay all of it, right? No doubt you'd have a stock market that would, would fall here. Borrowing costs would increase, which ironically would make it more expensive to service the debt that they're fighting about. <clears throat> that would be one of those... 
outlooks. You would have 401ks would plummet, a jump in unemployment. Uh, you know, look, it's all just really bad stuff. If they don't get this figured out quickly, this is American living standards that will be smaller. I'm going to say that again. American living standards will go back in time if they can't figure this out. Can you imagine we just came out of one of the best economic times in American history, at least modern American history, under Donald Trump, the whole financial situation, from one side to the other side. The bad stuff that happened during the Trump administration, it was stuff that happened not because of his administration, its policies, or its ideology, or what it did. It happened because of all of the hate-mongering, the fear-mongering, and the lying from the left, top to bottom. The corporate media, politicians, sycophants out in the nation that just hated Donald Trump and hated those evil MAGA extremists. And Trump did this. Trump colluded with Russia. Russia got him elected. He did all these horrible things. And in the middle of it all, America was way better off than it's been at any other period in my memory as an American. But nobody on the left wants to admit that. Why is that? Why are we sitting on the top of an abyss right now economically? And we are. Regardless of what anybody says, you just heard a list of the things that are probable if we ever do default on our debt. Our government does not take care of its own business, let alone the business of the nation. We have people all over the government that give no care, no thought whatsoever about the ramifications of the choices they make, the things they do. And that, in large part, is destroying the nation. We've had three Banks just totally fail. How long has it been since that happened? I can tell you, 2008, big crash back then. Republican administration, Bush 43. He was in the White House then. A lot of that failure had to do with his administration and decisions and choices that were made. You can never not hold somebody in the ultimate position of power, you cannot not hold them accountable when something happens on their watch directly because of things that they did or things they didn't do. That's just a fundamental of being a human, don't you think? But guess what? We've got another big bank that's in trouble. PacWest. PacWest is confirming it's probably going to sell Because it's stock sell-off. People are dumping Pacific West Bank stock left and right. They confirmed it's looking at its strategic options. <laughs> that, that term, what that means on Wall Street, it's a code for the probability of a sale to some white knight that comes in and swoops all the bad stuff away and dumps a load of money and bails them out. Backwest Bank Corp., the California-based holding company that owns Pacific West Bank, they said yesterday that it is in talks with potential partners and investors 
after shares of the California-based lender and some of the regional banks, by the way, tumbled in the middle of fears of this absolute worsening banking crisis. Their official statement yesterday said, recently the company has been approached by several potential partners and investors and discussions are ongoing. The company will continue to evaluate all options to maximize our shareholder value. In accordance with normal practices, the company and its board of directors continuously review our strategic options, yada, 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 yada. So in the middle of the media speculation. It all started on Tuesday. The speculation did. And confirmation of some of this crud that the bank was looking at options, including raising capital or even a sale. Stock prices fell 48.44% with those conversations going on. So this news that they're mulling their strategic options and that it's been approached by some partners or wannabe partners and wannabe investors, it sent shares of the regional banks tumbling pre-market today, early this morning. You would think it would be the other. If the People know the bank may have problems when you're told that there are people coming in that are going to save it from problems. You would think stocks, prices would at least stabilize it. Not so. Zion Bank Corporation, Key Corp, Valley National Bank Corp, Comerica, and First Horizon. Those are all involved banks with PacWest. Their stock dropped between 2% and 6%. Yesterday, PacWest shares plunged 52%. Investors are worried that PacWest will be the next domino to fall as worries swirl about deposit flight, people, you know, a rush on the bank pulling out their money, and the lack of asset diversification among smaller lenders. The, the bank said, PacWest said yesterday, actually, early this morning, it, had no ex, it has not experienced any unusual deposit withdrawals since First Republic Bank was put into resolution by regulators. The president of the bank, a guy named Paul Taylor, he said back in April that the bank had managed to weather the turmoil sparked by the failure in early March of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. So what does this really mean? What it means, folks, is the Biden administration's policies of spin, 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 wasting hundreds of billions of dollars. We find out every day some new stuff where the government has just blown tax dollars, so much money out in the marketplace, it devalues the dollar, which means we got to pay more for the same stuff. And so what happens to banks? What does that have to do with banks? Well, they don't just leave your deposits laying out on a table back in the bank vault. It doesn't work that way. They take your money, your deposits, and they put it to use. They invest it. Much of it is invested in federal bonds that they buy, some in real estate. And what happens when you borrow money? You have to pay it back. Or if you're going to keep the loan open, you've got to pay whoever lent you the money. You've got to make interest payments. And so what does that mean? 
when interest rates go up, which is what happens when this situation comes up. Prices go up, interest rates goes up. So the cost goes up, and the security, the assets that are that are anchoring those loans that these banks make with your money, the value of the asset goes down as the market goes down. It's a daisy chain, and we're all caught up in it, even those of us that don't realize it. You have a simple IRA, you have a 401k, you have any kind of retirement out there, whoever's managing your retirement better have the money that you invest with them. They better have it invested in places, stocks, bonds, really whatever, assets that will make you money. That's what you have them doing, what they're doing to do. But when the market goes down, the values of stocks go down, as prices continue to soar, which is inflation, there is no probable good outcome for any of this. And I'm not a doomsayer. It's just factual. It's just factual. Evidence is everywhere. Facts are everywhere. And not talking about them doesn't change the facts. My wife and her family, her immediate family, she had three sisters. There were four girls. Their mom and dad and even others in their extended family They had a mantra, their dad, big boy, he came from a little town in northwest Louisiana, and it was just a situation he was raised in in his family that you didn't talk about bad stuff. And so he didn't, and he instilled that in his family. And so when Marianne and I got married almost 50 years ago, my gosh, that woman has stayed with me 48-plus years. Oh, my God. She's a saint. Anybody that knows me will agree with that. (laughs) But when issues come up, the girls were taught, don't talk about them. And if you don't talk about them, it's like they're not there. Well, you and I both know that's not the answer. When there are bad things going on, when there are problems, you got to get them resolved. And pretty much the only way to get them resolved is for everybody that's involved in the problem to get together and discuss and talk and come up with options and collectively make changes as necessary to fix the problem. That's what should be happening now. But this government, it's almost like the ostrich. They go over and stick their heads in the sand, and they just keep talking about what a great job they're doing. Look what we're doing for Americans. It's kind of like Nero fiddled in Rome while Rome was burning. Never talked about Rome burning. Maybe we could nickname Joe Biden our president, Nero. It doesn't matter what we call him, title him, or whatever. He's making poor choices, and you and I are paying the price, and it's all going downhill. When the president of the United States, any president, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. When they make decisions, good or bad, the results are experienced by Americans, everyday Americans. And those decisions and choices that are being made, they should be made exclusively for the betterment of American citizens. Certainly not those people in government in any way other than their citizenship and being an American. 
That's not what's happening right now. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Congressman Jim Jordan was in town, actually in Shreveport, Louisiana, yesterday, last night, with Congressman Mike Johnson, Republican from our 4th Congressional District. Jim Jordan, I got to be honest, he is a very different, unusual politician, very conservative. He's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Now, that may not seem a big deal, but he's not a lawyer. Very seldom does it happen. His fellow Republicans, they put him in that position. And in that position, he's been very aggressive going after these investigations of wrongdoing that are happening because our government is doing the wrongdoing in large part. His latest is he has subpoenaed an FBI official who has refused to answer whistleblower retaliation questions. In other words, these whistleblowers under federal law, when you register as a real whistleblower, nobody in the government can retaliate against you for the information that you're bringing out. Here are the details about what's going on in that one. Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent a subpoena to FBI official Jennifer Lee Moore, Jennifer Lay Moore, charging that she refused to answer questions about the FBI's retaliation against whistleblowers. Uh, Congressman, tell me more about this. Yeah, you know, Trump knows who he can trust and who he can't trust. So I have full confidence that he's going to appoint people to completely do away with the corruptness that we have, not just in the DOJ and the FBI, but in every level of the federal government. 
And we're going to bring that individual in, and we're going to. We I, I know that Jordan has subpoenaed her, or we're in the process of subpoenaing her to to put her on the record on these questions. And you're going to see time and time again as we walk through in the Weaponization Committee subpoenaing individuals. You see the left suddenly freaking out, like Alvin Bragg tried to file a lawsuit to get us to not talk to a previous DA who doesn't even work for the department anymore because they're afraid of the information that we're going to elicit through the testimony and depositions of putting these people under oath and asking them very tough questions. Trying to get answers. That's what this is all about. And isn't it, isn't it disgusting to you that we take so much time and it, expend so much energy just trying to get those in authority over us, leaders at every level, to do the right thing. And then when they're found to not be doing the right thing, we can't get the information we need. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, he's another Republican like Jim Jordan at the top of a very powerful but very important committee He has now subpoenaed the FBI for records that are alleging a criminal scheme involving Joe Biden. The document, an FBI-generated called FD-1023 form, details an arrangement involving an exchange of money for policy decisions between now President Biden and a foreign national. These are the details of the soundbite that you heard at the top of the show Jesse Waters was walking, was talking about. Details say Comer issued a subpoena yesterday following legally protected disclosures to Senator Chuck Grassley's office. And uh, I'm not going to read you the subpoena. It's, it's out there if you want to go get it. Comer and Grassley wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray, and basically what they said was, we have received legally protected and highly credible unclassified whistleblower disclosures. Based on those, it's come to our attention that the DOJ and the FBI possess an unclassified FD-1023 form that describes a criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national that relates to the exchange of money for vice presidential presidential policy decisions. It's alleged that the document includes a precise description of how the alleged criminal scheme was employed as well as its purpose. Based on the alleged specificity within the document, It would appear that the DOJ and the FBI have enough info to determine the truth and the accuracy of the information contained within it. However, now this is sent, this is the letter that was sent by Comer and Grassley. However, it remains unclear what steps, if any, were taken to investigate the matter. The significant public interest in assessing the FBI's response to this, as well as growing concern about the DOJ and the FBI's track record, of allowing their political bias to infect decision-making, necessitate exacting congressional oversight. The DOJ and the FBI appear to have valuable, verifiable information that you have failed to disclose to the American people. Therefore, Congress will proceed to conduct an independent and objective review of this matter free 
from those agencies' influence. That kind of elaborates a little bit on the the issue. See, this is more the same. More the stuff that we talked about at the top of the show. The details come out and prove there's wrongdoing going on. Now, why would the FBI hold on and not release unclassified documentary information? They have no authority to do it. They've got to. House is the oversight committee for every government agency, the FBI and the DOJ. They're under that. Oversight means making sure that everybody you're over does the right things and don't do the wrong things and have a responsibility to hold those accountable that don't do the right things. Hunter Biden's overseas business ventures had been recognized as early as 2015 as a probable conflict of interest for his dad. Diplomats, journalists, they all question Hunter Biden's appointment to that board of Burisma. I got to be honest with you. How do you get that gig? He earned $83,333 a month. And he had no relevant expertise whatsoever. And this all just, it just happened coincidentally when his dad was in office. All those concerns were brushed aside, but the vice president's office and the issue has never been resolved. Hunter Biden also connected other foreign business folks with his dad, including Chinese associates. All of this is factual. It's uncontested. The criminal statute of bribery describes giving anything of value to an official to influence him or her and performing any official act. Doesn't matter what the act is. The fact that the thing of value might have flowed to Biden's friends and family rather than to Biden himself would not, if it's true, not absolve him. And there is evidence that the senior Biden benefited from his family's gains. There are two crimes involved in this, potentially bribery, and treason. Oh, you can't say that about a sitting president, Dan. I didn't say it. It's in the Constitution, and it's impeachable offenses, both of them. Biden could be impeached retroactively, constitutionally, following a precedent set by, guess who? Democrats in their second impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump in 2021. Remember, we talked about it. You better be careful about what you do because it could come back to haunt you. Now, I'm one of those people. I don't believe Biden will be impeached. Democrats won't allow it. There are enough Republicans that won't either, despite the fact and the law being out there that would justify it. And Nobody wants us to go through the same kind of thing again. I don't want to go down that road. I just want them to do the right thing. And when they do wrong things, to step up and be a man or a woman and hold yourself accountable and not wait for somebody that 
thinks you did something wrong, expend the time, effort, energy, and money to go prove that you did something wrong. When you as a leader, you did it, just step up and own what you did wrong. And we don't talk about this much, but what's going to happen in the 2024 election? I'm not talking about Joe Biden being the Democrat nominee. I'm talking about the election overall. There is a possibility, even if it's not a significant possibility, that Joe won't be picked to be the guy. He's a, um, let's call him, he's not just an 82-year-old. Is he 82, 81, something like that? But he he's a nostalgia president. He's a link to the Obama administration in that eight-year period, of course, But he's also a living reminder to us all of the days when Democrats were automatically the party of white ethnics, especially people like him, Irish Catholics. For those senior white voters in the Democrat coalition, the professed Catholic and Irish-ish Biden, he is an older but a lesser Kennedy but he's an heir to the JFK nonetheless. Only now, and this is beginning to bother our president. He may not admit it, but it is. He's got to contend with a real Kennedy for the Democrat presidential nomination coming up next year. Robert Kennedy Jr. announced his bid even just now, two weeks ago. And already he's polling at 20% in the race in the Democrat Party. That's partly a function of his name, of course, Kennedy. But it's also a symptom of the Democrats' party concerns about Joe Biden. A majority of Democrats, NBC News recently polled, said that Biden should not seek re-election. Overall, the survey found about 70% of Americans think Biden shouldn't run. An octogenarian, Joe Biden knows history, bears a warning for him. The last Democrat president to get challenged for renomination was Jimmy Carter. And by the way, the challenger then, too, was a Kennedy. Carter beat Ted Kennedy in the primaries only to lose the 1980 general election to Ronald Reagan. Republican presidents are equally alarming. Pat Buchanan's success, marshalling GOP discontent against Bush 43 in 1992, wasn't good enough to deny Bush the nomination, but it did pretend his defeat by Bill Clinton that November. uh, November. That's not Bush 43, that's Bush 41. Above all, there's the example of Robert Kennedy Sr., His insurgent challenge to Lyndon Johnson in the 1968 Democrat primaries forced the president to withdraw from the race. Johnson didn't run again. Only an assassin's bullet stopped Bobby Kennedy from becoming the Democrat nominee that year. So RFK Jr. doesn't credit the official story of his dad's murder. He's convinced Sirhan Sirhan did not fire the fatal shots. And he also holds the CIA culpable for the murder of his uncle in Dealey Plaza 60 years ago. Robert Kennedy Jr.'s penchant for conspiracy theories 
leads Biden-friendly commentators and political strategists just to dismiss him. Why would they do that? Well, he threatens to spoil their myth that Republicans are the crazy party, whether or not he poses any risk to their guy, Joe Biden. But in fact, conspiracy theories have as much of a home in the Democrat Party as they do in the GOP, if not more of them. But there's here's the difference. That difference is that Democrat conspiracy theories like those alleging Russian responsibility for Donald Trump getting elected in 2016, they often come with the uh, enforcement, the pushing, the promoting of very prestigious media outlets. Robert Kennedy Jr., on the other hand, is a Democrat whose conspiratorial beliefs don't dependably align with those, those elite media's prejudices. Kennedy supporters and him have long believed that vaccines contribute to autism. And he's a fiery critic of Anthony Fauci and the response by the CDC and NIAID, Anthony Fauci's agency, and the medical establishment to COVID-19. No, we're not supposed to talk about those views. They're supposed to be the province of QAnon, not Democrat primary voters. That's according to the commentators who often they beat up on the party's image and they tarnish the Republicans' image. But the guardians of the party, the Democrat Party's respectability, they are in the process of a rude awakening. They're already talking about it privately. You can book it. The Kennedy name... Biden's weakness, the massive distrust that millions of people like me feel toward institutions like the CIA, the media, the pharmaceutical companies are going to make Robert Kennedy Jr. a formidable opponent for whoever runs in addition to Joe Biden for the Democrat Party nomination. And there's Marianne Williamson. She's a long shot. But by the way, I think it's interesting and important to note, she shares many of Robert Kennedy Jr.'s views, but she doesn't have his family fame, his name. She's polling at 8 to 9% in the Democrat race. That's evidence that there is a reckoning of some kind at hand for the Democrats. Whatever the realities of Camelot, remember John F. Kennedy, they called his administration Camelot? Millions of baby boomers. Besides all that, the Kennedys still represent a dream that has been deferred for many years. JFK personally showed how an Irish Catholic could assimilate all the way to the top of all of our institutions. And if he could, then so could a kid of any background. Irish Americans like the Kennedys, they could be proud of their heritage while also being proud Americans. They figured out early, raising up a John F. Kennedy did not mean tearing down a Thomas Jefferson. His assassination only prolonged that dream. The nightmare of the LBJ years, remember those if you were around Vietnam, the triumph of the civil rights movement turning into the tragedy of Martin Luther King's murder or the burning of American cities couldn't taint the memory of the martyred hero. 
RFK Sr.'s murder spared him, too, of responsibility for his party's capture by the radical left and the Democrats' defeats by old Richard Nixon, who got run out of Washington, D.C. The Kennedys are the enduring symbol of a liberalism and a party that died back in the 60s. It lives only in the memory of an idealistic generation that's grown old. When all of us baby boomers die, the Kennedy dream of a Democrat party that's inclusive, but at the same time proud of our past rather than ashamed of it, it's going to end about the same time. Biden, leader of this party whose liberalism is very different, he hides behind that Kennedy dream. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. takes that away. The bottomless sense of betrayal that animates Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is an epitaph for an entire generation. And by the way, Joe Biden's part of that generation. He's a boomer. Boomer Democrats love the American dream, but they failed the real America. It's going to be interesting to watch this. Don't think for a second that Joe Biden's an automatic to be the Democrat candidate that runs in 2024 for re-election. And let me just predict something to you. I predict that he'll realize it's a lost cause. And he'll realize that the American people really don't want him to run again. I think he'll bail. I think he's toast. I think at some point before the the uh, run-up really begins aggressively. I know he's, he's declared he is running. But I think Jill will make a phone call. There'll be some Democrats that'll step up to the camera and they'll say, President Biden has decided it's time for him to move on and he's not going to run for re-election. That's my prediction. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels. What do you model, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Right? Eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Hey, what do you want to da-da-da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da-da-da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh, no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh, no. No. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. 
The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. It's Thursday and this week has been full, full of things happening. Just moments ago, it was announced that four Proud Boys members of that January 6th case were found guilty this morning of seditious conspiracy. That's according to multiple reports. Their national chairman, Enrique Tario, members Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs, Zachary Rell, and Dominic Pozzolo, were all convicted of obstructing Congress's January 6, 2021 electoral vote certification. Tario, Nordine, Biggs, and Rail were convicted of seditious conspiracy and conspiracy to obstruct Congress, with the jury so far failing to reach a verdict on those charges against Pozzola. Tario's attorney had argued that former President Trump was responsible for January 6 events. The DOJ had said Tario, Nardine, Biggs, and Rail were all leaders in a Proud Boys chapter called the Ministry of Self-Defense. They claimed Tario chose the chapter's other leaders who helped carry out the conspiracy's obstruction goal, along with Pozzolo, and additional riot participants. Tario was not at the Capitol when the January 6th riots happened. He'd been arrested in D.C. on January 4th of 2021 for property destruction, and he was ordered to leave the next day, but he held a roughly half-hour meeting with Oak Keepers militia group leader Stuart Rhodes before he went to Baltimore. Rail and Pozzola both testified there was not a plan to storm the Capitol, but DOJ attorneys contended they could be convicted of conspiracy without an intricate one. That's interesting to me. It's kind of like being declared guilty based upon a supposition that somebody said, but there's no real hard evidence to prove. I won't even get into the January 6th stuff. There were definitely some really bad people that did some really bad things. But sadly, there are a whole bunch of people that were not really bad people that were there and got caught up in the emotion of a moment. And they made one big mistake. They went into the Capitol, even though many were thinking it was okay for them to do so. And it's been proven in court that that did happen some. In fact, one woman that was charged with just that, she had proof. And that's called evidence in a court of law. And she brought the evidence forward, her attorney did, that proved she was waived in by Capitol cops. But all these other people... Uh, we may never know the facts on all that. Something else we're struggling across the nation to get some facts on, all the details about what went on when Fox News cut ties with Tucker Carlson. We found out overnight some of the details. Fox's board that's made up of eight members that include Paul Ryan, remember him? He ran for vice president. Uh, When Mitt Romney ran for president, he's from, is it Wisconsin? Yeah, he's from Wisconsin. He was the Speaker of the House, by the way, Trump's first two years in office. Paul Ryan, along with two of the Murdoch family members, 
was reportedly involved in Tucker's ouster. One day before the Dominion Voting Systems trial was set to begin and before Carlson was kicked to the curb, Fox's board reviewed previously disclosed text messages that were sent by Tucker to his producer that caused the board to hatch a plan to hire a law firm to investigate Tucker. Now, this has been confirmed according to the New York Times. And I said that to just make sure you have a question mark above that because if the New York Times said it, it doesn't mean it's true. It remains unclear how the text escaped more notice earlier, given that the Fox legal team was aware of it and some other offensive texts that were written by Tucker. Carlson had even been asked about it during a deposition, according to several people who have read the unredacted transcripts of that deposition in that Dominion trial. The board was likely going to face scrutiny about how it handled the Dominion case during additional legal action that's ongoing into Delaware, which could encompass Carlson's text. Former Speaker, House Speaker Paul Ryan, Fox Corp Chair Rupert Murdoch, and Murdoch's son Lachlan are prominent members of the board of directors. How Fox's big shots and board handled the case in the months before the trial was scheduled to begin, that's going to be an issue, we're told, in shareholder lawsuits filed against the company in Delaware. Though Carlson's show, Tucker Carlson Tonight, was just a small factor in that lawsuit brought by Dominion, his personal texts were drawing major scrutiny. Shortly after the lawsuit was settled, Tucker was kicked to the curb. One source told Breitbart News an important meeting involving the Murdochs and Ryan occurred at Fox after the settlement that led to Tucker leaving Fox. After the Dominion settlement, there was clearly a meeting at the network. I don't know if it was a board meeting or just the Murdochs, but someone made a decision and said these two are the biggest threats to the network and they don't listen to anyone. Who are those big two? Tucker Carlson and Dan Bongino. Hmm. Now this producer, this text, these texts that Tucker sent to his producer, do you know he never met her? She was in New York. She's at Fox in New York. Tucker is in Florida. His entire show was done in Florida. Most people didn't know that. He built a studio at his home down there. And if you don't remember why he went to Florida, he lived in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. for years. And he kept getting threats, all kinds of threats at his house. And then some Democrat media sycophants, they released to Democrats, radical Democrats, his actual home address and telephone numbers. And people started threatening him and his family, young children. And he bailed. You know, none of that matters. Tucker's a bad person, we're told. He's a guy that uh, he doesn't think about stuff before he does it. He just does it. Oh, my gosh. It's hard to deal with all of these things. It's hard to do it. 
But we've got to. Every one of us has to. We've got to deal with it. And we've got to trust that we're going to make it through it, whatever it is. And just be thankful. Just be thankful that we're not in a bad place, that we're in a good spot, and that there is good at the end of it all. We've just got to be wary, cautious, careful. And we've got to trust our God and our relationship with God to get through all this stuff. We're going to do it. And we're going to be okay. Hey, guys, I want to thank you for joining us here. We thank you so much. Never take you for granted. Never will. Have a great day. Okay, it's another morning. Everybody wake up. God has given us another day all over the world. Come on. Brand new day. Always giving